0: All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How we doing? All right. I want to do something really uh, fun uh, just because we don't do this very often. Uh, but first, let me tell you I have, I have my quick commercial real quick. Um, how many of you are listening to Pastor Plex podcast? Okay. I got, listen, we're now from tens to hundreds, literally. This is, we have cre- number two in a North African country. I just want to remind you, number two in a certain North African country that cannot be named. Uh, So if you have any questions, please uh, uh, text us uh, at the number on the screen. We'll keep it up all morning long, uh, and I'm pumped for for that. So yeah, any questions, there's nothing off limits, please ask away. Uh, Whether it's dealing with Revelation, which we're talking about today, or anything culturally that faith intersects everything, so it can be on anything. Okay, Uh, this week is week two of Advent, to which you're like, wait, didn't, we didn't really do it last week, right? That's because we're we're not really good at being liturgical, so we're trying. So I grew up Lutheran. Do I mean other Lutheran people in here? Come on, Drew. All right, Drew and I went to West Point together, and we would walk down the Lutheran chapel, uh, tromping away us and the three others, and we would have an incredible time. And this would be part of the experience. So uh, the first week of Advent, Advent is a t- a period of time where you prepare your heart for uh, the advent of Christ, which is on Christmas, and so. Week one, we, we were supposed to light the candle last week, and so I'll light this week, is for hope. And our hope is in the coming of the Messiah, that he would come, that he, and he has come, and that he will one day be coming again. And then the second uh, week of Advent is on peace. And so we light this candle to remind us that Jesus is ultimately coming to bring us peace. And when I think about Christmas and peace, small children and peace, I don't think of candles because that starts fires. I think of bath time. Okay, can I just give you what, how, let me just tell you, this is my life, so I, I feel like I can, we can vent here. Because there is this There's this really, this is beautiful, and we want to kind of like, this is the thing we're going to think about, and whenever you look at this candle, you think in peace. But when you're at, in real life, okay, and you've got a bath, and I've got four kids, eight, six, four, and two, and I've got, I'm trying to put everybody in. Everyone's resisting the bath, and everyone's just getting out of the bath. I don't even know how that works. Anyway, I get the eight-year-old and the six-year-old are sort of functional, and they can get in by themselves. That's Austin and Jett. And then the four-year-old and the two-year-old, it's a wrestling match. And I get the two-year-old in, and now he's in, and then he starts holding the side of the bathtub. And he looks at Titus, my four-year-old, and he goes, my spot, my spot. Now, his total vocabulary, I didn't know he knew what my spot meant. Like, I didn't, I, I didn't know that was a part of him, but he understood his territory, and he was going to claim my spot. And so I said, Titus, can you get in the bath? He said, well, look, there's bags, and he won't let me in. I go, he's two. Get into the bath. And so as, as Titus walks over, Paxton starts, boom, 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 my spot. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, and so then I'm like, eventually, I'm, I, you know, I'm just bigger, right? So I'm, Murr! you get in and I, you know, you think you're done and then they start battling it out in the bathtub. Okay. So, um, and then you kind of, it's like MMA bathtub style. And then Austin and Jet, my older two are just sort of encouraging it and that doesn't help. And so there's no peace in the bathtub. Okay, sorry. Um, <clears throat> All that to say, it's hard to focus on peaceful candles uh, when you have life happening. And what happens, like a lot of us, what happens with a lot of us is we have a tendency, and this isn't just those with small children, those who have teenagers understand that peace um, <laughs> is hard to come by. And uh, this is, okay, how about this? If you just have family at Christmas, You're going to interact with some people and you're going to get at some dinner table and someone's going to start talking about their life and you're going to be like feeling edgy because you got to let them know. Or they let you know. And now you got to let them know that they let you know it was not okay. Okay. So we all have that. It's, there's a weight of that. We all feel that. And what I think what happens, what happens is we go Paxton, my, my youngest, my two-year-old, and we trade our peace for position. And what we're going to do is I'm going to make sure that I, I, listen, God's peace, thank you, Jesus, you know, dying on the cross, being raised, that, that, that's great. No? But I have a certain thing I need to do or achieve. I need a position to be right. And once I get that thing, maybe it's marriage, maybe it's a kid, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's whatever the, the job that you've been, if I can just get that position, then I'll have, then I can worry about the peace later. I think there's a tendency in us to do that. Uh, or, I think what happens is we exchange our peace for power. And listen, I, as long as everyone recognizes that I'm in charge around here, that we are gonna be, have a everything's gonna go well. As long as people just do what they're supposed to do, and I have an understanding of of what that is in their relationship dynamic, once that gets settled and you understand what you're bringing to the Christmas dinner or what presents are expected or not expected or the the proper protocol that I've established, then once you understand the right power structure then I can have peace. Or, all these things just point to I want what I want when I want it. I want I want me. I want to do me. You do you, but you do you in a way that respects me, okay? And we don't want this, and we will, and what happens is instead of going like, ah, you know, it's Christmas, you know, because there are times when you do that to strangers. It's Christmas, so I'll let that one go, but when it's your family, it's like, oh man, Christmas of 97, of do you remember that? <laughs> I still remember what she said. And all of a sudden, like things have kind of like. And some people are like, "I was born in '97." Anyway, what happens is like we, we have a reality of, like of of this this place where uh, things are held onto, and I'm holding onto it because I will not be denied my pride, and I gotta maintain it. And we trade our peace. So, um, this morning, as we talk about the advent of the King, and uh, if if you haven't been included on this we're doing a combo of Advent, which is the Christmas season, and Revelation. And this took a lot of work to figure out a way we could do that. So, Advent means coming. So, Jesus is coming again. So, we're focusing the text on Jesus's second coming, not his first. So, it still counts as Advent. And we have candles. All right. (laughs) All right. So, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 19. And as we talk about peace Uh, In this Christmas season, uh, I just want us to prepare our hearts by going before God and hearing what he would have to say to us. Would you guys pray with me? Uh, Father, I thank you. Uh, I thank you that even in Austin, Texas, where uh, a lot of people are just sort of uh, beyond church, anti-church, just not going to do church, uh, that we could be at a place where we could honor you, love you, fully uh, give you glory in a way that would truly, truly be um, revealing who you are, and so God, as we open up Revelation 19, would you prepare our hearts? Would we be able to receive the instruction? Would we be able to ins- receive what you have, want to plant in us, that it would grow in us and blossom and grow, that we would have our lives conform to your word and not make the word conform to our lives? Um, please Jesus. We love you, God. It's Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. All right, here we go. Revelation 19, verse 1. Are you ready? we so ready. Okay. After, I, I'm, I like feedback, so if you're new, you can, you, know, you can talk back to me. That's good. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. Now, I need, we're going to do, this is, this is feedback time. I need some uh, Bible scholars. What does hallelujah mean? praise the Lord. That's really good, because if you didn't know that, we were just singing a bunch of gibberish on the screen, right? You're like, hallelujah. What are we saying? All right, so hallelujah is a hallel, a hallah is a praise, and yah is short for Yahweh or the Lord, all right, God. All right, so praise the Lord, praise God. Those are great, adequate interpretations, and we're going to practice saying hallelujah this morning together loudly, all right? So every time it comes up, you're going to have a cue, and so this is your part to read, respond, okay? We need to work together here. All right, so hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. And to which you're like, if you just tuned in, you weren't here last week, what is he talking about? Well, last week we learned about Babylon, who which was the religious system of the world, which sort of kings and uh, power brokers leveraged to Um, rule over people was destroyed. And so uh, Babylon and that entire system uh, was burned. So there's uh, probably what we we believe is there's one city that sort of represents kind of how Mecca represents Islam or maybe Dallas represents Christianity. I don't know. Uh, And and so the reality is it's like that city went down, okay? It went down. And and so th- what they're doing is they're saying, this is a voice of all those, the saints that are in heaven. They're saying, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God for his judgments are, are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. So remember, in this religion that is of the world, I know this is going to be really hard for you to even conceive of happening, but you're going to make a religion out of secular beliefs that say, if you don't follow this set core beliefs, then you, uh, and if you will not bow down to what we have sort of shared with you, and you can kind of believe anything you want, as long as you believe these core things about people and all of that, then you are in. If you're not, you're out. And so the reason why I call it a great prostitute is because take something that is good, faith, religion, uh, and has taken it to, it abuses people by leading them into darkness, okay? So for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And so part of um, being a Christian in this specific time, in the future, where as we as Christians believe that we will not be there for that because we will be in heaven, okay? Because we will be raptured from this earth. So that's, you can believe, you can not believe that and still be a Christian, and I'm great, glad that you're here, welcome. Uh, and we can agree to disagree on that one because that's okay. But the reality is that uh, she will take out those who become Christians in the tribulation and martyr them in a really dark way. Verse three, once more they cried out. Oh, yeah. oh man, you guys were ready. All right, praise the Lord. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever to which everyone's like, I don't know if I really feel okay about saying hallelujah to that. No, but remember this is the evil that has been done to, our, uh, to the Christians who've been killed for their faith and they don't respond with violence, they respond with just being martyred. And from the throne came a, oh, sorry, uh, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures uh, fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, amen. and from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, it's like hallelujah, but yeah, it's the same thing, so what's really kind of strange, this is sort of fun, just for fun fact of the day, um, is this hallelujah is Hebrew, right, but it's written in Greek, so it's just transliteration, it's like the word baptism, there's no American, or American, English word baptism, we just borrowed it from the Greek, there is no Greek word hallelujah, they just borrowed it from the Hebrew, and so this is Greek, praise our God," which you're like, "That was way too much, I don't care. OK, keep on. Uh, all praise our God, all you His servants, who fear Him small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, "Get ready!" Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns!" Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, this is where you're like, Jesus is getting married? Like, I didn't know about this. Uh, So watch this. And this is just fun. Just Genesis starts with a wedding and then Revelation ends with a wedding. How fun is that? Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, all right. All right. So, but look at this. Remember, this is in contrast to the great prostitute. Right, so the great prostitute, which was Babylon, which is the city, this, the system of religion that uh, many kings and many people had affiliated them with to you know, buy and sell, to make money, to be materialistic, to do all those things. And you know, here's the contrast of the pure bride of Christ, which is the church. All right, so this is the church versus the world. The world is destroyed by, and, and seeing in Babylon, and here is the church being brought up, and the bride has made herself ready. And it was granted her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and pure. Okay? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So here's what's so great about this. Remember, um, you are not saved by your deeds or your works. Did you guys know this? There's no amount of good stuff you could do to enter into heaven because you are a sinner, and what sinners do is sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So your sins can't be any worse than anybody else's sins. They all get you out of heaven. All right? But. Jesus died on the cross, he rose to the dead, and he calls us, Ephesians 2.10 uh, says, he, he's, we are his workmanship for good works that we might walk in them. And so the righteousness is the same. It's not like you get saved and God doesn't care what you do. No, no, he's like, no, no, great job, you guys are doing great, clothe yourselves in righteousness. And so that's exactly what happens. And then they are clothed. Now, verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And then he does something really weird. Then I fell down at his feet to worship. It's like, John, he's an angel. Don't do that. And the angel goes, you must not do that. Things go badly for angels who want worship. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is really cool. Like, he doesn't have a testimony of Jesus because he was an angel and so therefore as a created being that had never sinned doesn't have not necessarily doesn't need jesus he just is worshiping and serving jesus but does not have a testimony of jesus that's what we have he says worship god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy have you ever heard like someone talk about the spirit of prophecy what we're talking about is the testimony of jesus here's what jesus did in my life the, the, prophecy can be broken into two things there's foretelling which is like jeff i have a word for you all right That's we're not that church. All right, and then there's a fourth telling. All right, there's fourth telling where it is like, um, let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life, and you can have relationship with Him and all the stuff that I've been set free from the darkness, the sin that I got myself wrapped in to a place where I didn't think I could get free from. He saved me, and that's the spirit of prophecy where you you help somebody understand what Jesus has done for you, but ultimately it points to this this one thought: worship God. And um, can you guys forgive my alliteration? I kind of went overboard this week. So um, I'm asking forgiveness on the front end. But praise puts God's people in position for peace. (laughs) I just want you to take that in for a moment. Thank you. All right, now listen, listen. Now, two things happen. Two things happen when we... um, put ourselves, when we praise God, one is that you recognize, watch this, you recognize that he is God, you are not. That's a big deal. Ultimately, what you say is right, what I say is whatever you say, okay? That's, what, that's the alignment factor. And then something else happened is it orients God toward you. Now, you may know this intuitively, uh, and here's, this is, remember, because God is ultimately a father. If you have children, I, I have children, and one of the greatest moments in my life is I push them on the swing and then ultimately they go, Daddy, I'm so high. Daddy, you are so strong. And I go, well, working out in a little bit. But that, what that happens is something happens. When they, when they go, Daddy, you are so strong. There's something in me that goes, it's them sort of glorying in my strength, okay? And then, and then, and when you think about that from the perspective of, of, like, we know that inherently, that there's something about that that causes you to, your affections turn to, like, what else do you want? Another plastic thing you're going to throw away in three weeks? Absolutely, right? Um, bad parent, sorry. All right, but that's sort of how God is. I mean, how much stuff have you got and You're like, I don't deserve that. Come on. All right, so, so now, now watch. But what irritates us is because we know this is when the guy at work starts brown nosing, especially around bonus time. And what happens, the reason you, you get frustrated by that, because you know he's positioning himself uh, for whatever it is he's going to receive, and that that boss, no matter who, even if he's Elon Musk, is finite. I mean, he might even ask you to his little uh, 375 square foot bungalow outside of the space station he's got going on over there uh, in, in, on the coast of Texas. But the reality is he's finite, and he might have a lot of resources, but he's limited in his time and his space, and so even if your boss is Elon Musk, someone's going to get hurt when you get more attention at the yearly review annual meeting, and he calls Bob from accounting, thank you for saving me $8 billion with that thing of where I sold a gazillion dollars of my stock, that was brilliant, and we all made it look like a PR win. All right, anyway, stock, who cares, okay. All right, um, so what happens is that you look at that and with people, there's a finite amount of that, but you understand that when you praise someone, the attention comes on that person. And if it's a human being, then ultimately you have to perform to be accepted. And I think what happens for a lot of us, um, we understand bosses and we understand God. He's kind of like a big boss. He's the man upstairs. And so we get that. We don't understand God as Father really quite as well, and I think that's where we struggle. Um, One of the things that is cool uh, for me is that my kids, uh, every now and then we'll do, um, well, every, we try and do this every week. We have a special day, okay, and so the first Friday of the week is Austin, the second is Jet, the third is Titus, the fourth is Paxton, and since Paxton doesn't really know what a special day is yet, Every day is a special day for Paxton, but we'll get to that later. All right, so what happens, though, is that when I take Austin to Chuck E. Cheese or to uh, an escape room or we just have a day together, uh, there isn't this sense of, like, jealousy from the others because I just go, oh, it's a special day. And then everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. That's why he got all that stuff, okay? Because what they know is that one day it's going to be their special day. And so they understand that although I am finite, and although it's just a, a, not com- a complete picture, but this is how it is with our God, is that He is infinite. He is completely infinite. And so when you worship Him, you're putting your position to receive, not necessarily material things, because that, obviously, if, I, if my kids got the plastic stupid thing all the time, I'd be broke and have a whole trash can full of plastic things. Now the reality is, though, is that there's this relationship that is way more powerful, and it sinks into the soul as a father and that everybody in the building is longing for. In fact, you are incomplete without it. If you're wondering why, like, I don't have purpose, I'm trying to figure this thing out, Is because you won't have a relationship with the God who is, who designed. Watch this. Did you know that before the fall, we were designed to work? Like, work wasn't like, oh, you screwed up, now go to work. No, it was like, you were, and then everything you produced was awesome. Do you know how that feels like when you are, when you're doing your best and it's like, all cylinders are kicking, and you're like, Man, you made it happen. whether the design, the portfolio, the whatever the thing is. This is what I was made to do. God designed it to be like that. But because of sin, it's broken it up. And then it it causes us to exchange our peace for the moments of that to go for, I need the position. And so I'll forsake the best work to get the position. I'll forsake whatever it is because I need that thing. And what God calls us to do is position ourselves to praise Him. Hallelujah. No matter what the circumstances, because what I love about corporate worship, like what everyone here and you're singing to God, there's all these other people, um, and maybe if you don't, if you're not a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, hell, I'm so glad you're here. Awesome, this is so great. Um, but what happens is there's something that happens, and maybe you've experienced this: is when you worship God, um, you h- receive from Him a connection that you've that it's although you're in a room with a bunch of people, you feel like it's just you. It's like how's that happening? In fact, I've had um, I've had people who have had like zero. They have not been inoculated to church, so they're not coming. And going like, ah, I give the worship out a five point seven. The preaching, the alliteration was way too cheesy. We're going to knock him down to a four. Like they're not grading the sermon the, in the worship service. They're just people who are just coming to experience for the first time, and they weep. It happens over and over and over again. There's no baggage. There's no like. They're just hearing the word of God pro- being proclaimed. His people being praised. They're not worried about someone being off key. They're just like, I'm just here. And all of a sudden, he hits them, bam! And like he starts speaking to their heart, because there's power in his word. And that's what this—that's the thing that brings us to this great peace of place of peace—is that when you worship more, the world means less. In fact, we even have a song that goes, "The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace." Because I'm not staring. At my circumstances, I'm looking at my king. Now look at verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Faithful, this is where God is faithful, and talk about in terms of Jesus Christ, that's 1 Corinthians 1, nine. And true, John 14.6, on the way, the truth, the life. And in righteousness, he judges and makes War. His eyes are like a flame of fire, which we learned is Jesus from uh, Revelation 1. And on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Just side note on, on that. Um, one of the things that my kids can pretty much call me anything except by my first name, right? And when, it, when Austin thinks it's funny, we, we like shut that down. Like, hey Chris, hey Adrian, <laughs> Because um, in the same way with God, right? There's a level of intimacy we're not allowed into and it keeps the relationship appropriate. Children, even when, if you're, you know, even when you get old, you still call them dad. You still call her mom. Because that's a sign of respect and love and all that. You start calling them by their first name, it just is weird. Uh, but it's because there's this, a level of intimacy that needs to be maintained that is a father-son, father-daughter relationship. And it's a special one of when I always need you, God. I don't need to know your name. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, knows its name, just like Adrian and I call each other by our first names and have other pet names, which no one else should know. Uh, Here. All right, keep moving. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood. To which everyone's like, ah, dipped in blood. Hmm, okay. That's a little, I mean, blood is red. Christmas colors are red. I'd go with that. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. All right, so remember, he is, he's got this robe dipped in blood because he is coming to, to bring down the wrath of God, which I was like, I thought this was a Christmas message. All right, it is, but it's the word of God. Or he is the word of God. Now, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, following him on white horses. Who were wearing the linen, white and pure? It was also a.k.a. the bride, a.k.a. the army. Now, I want you to notice one thing. What weapon are they holding? None. Okay, none. There is no weapon for the church. They're just riding horseback watching Jesus. Okay? From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, real quick on that. it's Jesus' word. And we're going to get into this thing. I f- you're going to watch this. Uh, he has. There is no such thing as dualism. Meaning like the big battle between good versus evil. Which you're like, that feels like there's a lot of good versus evil out there. No, no, there is no. Like when it comes to the battle, he just says stuff and he wins. Watch. And he will tread the wine press of the fury of God the Almighty. What is that? Isaiah 63.3. This is coming straight from the Old Testament. This is like, this is what... The Messiah was always going to do. He would come and he would make right those who hurt, those who wounded, those who uh, took uh, God's people and hurt them. There would be a vengeance would be his, not ours. So, Isn't that great news? That you don't have to go make sure that um, you go and get that person for what they've done to you, especially the Christmas of uh, 09, uh, because that Jesus is going to take care of that. And the reality is, if he were to take care of that, or you take care of that, then someone's going to have to take care of all the stuff that you did to them. And it's just this big convoluted mess of everyone having to get vengeance on everybody. That's Jesus' job. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And usually this is people's like statement for, like, aha, tattoos. See? We can get them. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't, but this isn't the verse to use. Because it could be that... Um, it wasn't tattooed. It just sort of like formed on his leg. Or think of it this way. Usually in that time, you'd have a huge sash. the so think like Miss Universe sash. And uh, only Mr. Universe. Uh, and uh, it says King of Kings, Lord of Lords on that sash. Uh, and that makes probably a lot of sense. Remember, you're getting a partial vision, not hearing everything he's saying. But, or it could be that it's just his name, Lord King of Kings, Lord of Lords, appears on his thigh. But watch, the thing I want you to see in this, is the power of the word brings peace to God's people. So uh, the, remember, they don't have a weapon. Only Jesus has the weapon of his mouth, and that is what is going to protect them. They can ride weaponless into a battle because Jesus is going to do all the fighting for them. Someone needs to hear that. You can go into the battle, and you don't need to make sure you bring your weapons because God's word will fight for you. Okay, it's, it's like this. Um, how about this? Um, I went to uh, a zoo recently. It was like the roadside zoo. like You know know what I'm talking about? It's a little less than the expensive side. Don't have to go for the full zoo experience. Roadside zoo, just north San Antonio. Awesome. And uh, you go, and there's lions. There's all stuff in there. And it's like a pretty small area where all these wild animals are in there. And if you were to take the glass down, it would be a pretty freaky moment. You're just sort of like, like even, you know, because the the lion goes roar, and everyone's like, little children, like my two-year-old's like, Hey, lion, you know. And but if you take away uh the bars, you take away the glass, there's a freaked out in this. And the word of God provides complete peace. Twitch, what you like, Chris? That, okay, that's nice. But um, I don't know if you know my life. I don't ha- it's not like the lions are behind cages. Um, maybe a better way to, to view it is um do you guys remember Shawshank Redemption? Like one of the best movies of all time. Oh man, so good! All right, and so in it, you know, uh, Andy Dufresne, he was c- uh, convicted of a crime he did not commit um, of murder, and uh, he uh, spends like twenty years in prison. And he finally figure out figures out a way to get out. And to get out, he has to he has to climb or crawl through this sewage tunnel of like a mile of you know, and every you know, forty feet. He's and then he gets out, and then the classic line from uh, Red or Morgan Freeman is, he, cl- he crawled through a mile of sewage, uh, and he came out smelling like roses on the other side. And then he makes it down to paradise, where he's got all the money in the world to, to fund his life and kind of start anew. And, and the, way, the way I look at our life now, it's like, you might be in the sewage tunnel. You might be in the prison, but if you knew how it all was going to end, then you're like, this is only temporary. I can make it through this. No, no, because your marriage, your marriage is temporary, right? It's going to be a point where someone's going to die. Uh, your um, the season of small children is only temporary. Eventually, they'll leave. God willing. There, there is this reality of like the, the season that you're in is going to end. And what happens for us, we make emotional decisions based on the pain of the moment without the perspective that God's word has for us that in the end, it's going to be okay. If it's not okay, it's not the end because in the end, it's going to be okay. Because Christmas is coming. The advent of Jesus is coming. He's going to make all things wrong, right? Right? And I think that's the part that I need us to sort of lean into. Look at this. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead. And he's going to say some weird stuff. He's essentially going to cry out to vultures. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, this is for free. Uh, Last week I was standing outside, and I was like, why are those vultures on those? There's vultures on the street lights of Wells Branch Parkway in the middle of the church. And that's because they're just waiting. Waiting for what? We'll read on. <clears throat> Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. To which everyone's like, Okay, and I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So you, you got the beast and his army, They're all, all the kings, all the powers, all the mighty men, all the captains, all the uh, colonels, all, everybody's lined up against Jesus who has a sword in his mouth and a bunch of weaponless riders on white horses. Okay. And it, everyone's lined up. Now, there's something happens between verse 19 and verse 20. Or it literally just goes like this. Verse 20 goes, and the beast was captured. <laughs> there was no battle. Everyone lined up, and Jesus like, and I capture you, and I capture you. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped its image. These two, that's, that's the beast and the prophet, were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. And everyone's like, Mary, I didn't know we were coming to this. I mean, this is like a horror movie. Did you guys flip Halloween or what? But the power of the word purges the proud to bring peace to God's people. Now, listen; these the people are actively war. They literally lined up to fight God, and it's not like the past eighteen chapters have described God's. Warning after warning after warning. Repent for the king of heaven is near. Like right there. Like there he is. And they're like, no, we're going to fight him. And the fight goes and you lose. That, that's it. There is no fight. Because the word of God never loses. Now I'm about to get, I'm going to start offending people. Is that okay? Oh, everyone's like, oh God. All right, watch this. When you say, like this this is when you say things like this this is where people get angry when you say that god values the poor there's something rise up and say, like, no, listen he might buy the poor but he ain't getting my money and then you read isaiah 58 uh you you go listen um uh, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and everyone's like listen the root of all ki- that could be that could be interpreted so many different ways Like, let's not make a big like materialism is not that bad. It's a part of life. Everyone, you gotta have a car. Might as well be awesome. (laughs) And then you read 1 Timothy 6:10, that just kind of gets right into our materialistic heart. Or, like, listen, we want to redefine sexuality. We're in Austin. You can't do that unless you read Romans 1 and you align God's design. For sex and sexuality with his word and not my opinion. Here's what happens. We want to take, take the culture and then read the Bible through the lens of the culture. And it's the other way around. You take the culture and you read the culture through the lens of God's word. Yeah. Uh, or, okay, let I mean, as long as we're offending people. How um, about this? When we talk about the, uh, the protecting the life of the unborn, Psalm 139. Like Those are valuable people. Or how about this? No, people are just generally good people. Why are you so caught up in calling people sinners? Because this is what God's word says. And If you don't have God's word, what do you have? You have your opinion, okay. Or you have an opinion of an expert who has his opinion. And this is the struggle that we face is that everybody here is going to run up against God's word at some point every one of us. It's not like there's a couple of us like, well, you know, I kind of got it pretty much knocked out. You know, it really doesn't, I mean, I don't really have anything I need to work on. You are self-deceived. Yeah. First John one eight says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's you. If you're like, I'm pretty good. No, self-deceived, just own it. I'm just an unaware person. <laughs> and then everyone's cool with that. Like, oh, well, he doesn't know. Right? I mean, like, yeah, you can kind of get by on that. Like, oh, I'm just completely unaware. And you're like, I don't, I don't know if it works like that, but okay, yeah, sure. But, here's, but then God's word is super clear. But if we confess our sin, listen to me, if we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That's, that's what makes it so beautiful. And this is what makes it Because here's, what, Remember, we, we said this. For some people, it's like, I'll get my life right. And then I'll come back to Jesus. Which is, that's crazy. And I, I love the fact that there are sinners here. And by sinners, I mean everyone of you. And me. Right, like, th- you don't come to God when you're perfected. You come to God as a complete mess and be like, God, I surrender. I don't know what to do. I can't do this. I can't change me. I don't want to change me. I have zero desire to change me. But if you are who you say you are, and this is as powerful as you say it is, I'm ready. Bring it. And I think that, will transform your marriage. Because did you guys know this? Ephesians 5? You're supposed to treat, there's a certain standard of the way you treat your spouse. And what happens for us is we go like, wow, you don't know who I'm married to. (laughs) No, no, no. God's word's clear. That doesn't matter. And I think this is the part where we start taking God's word and we start, you know, we get the black highlighter out. We, black highlighter a lot of verses because those are very irritating and those don't make sense in my life and i and i I wanted so i i was kind of like thinking what would be a good thing to close with this as i'm wrapping our heads around this thought of do you have peace and and for me it it just came down to i was was like reading james chapter four and i'm just gonna read this one through ten this is written to christians and i just want you to close your eyes for a second just receive this word this is written to Christians. So this isn't like, if you're not a Christian, this isn't for you. This is for Christians. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that you, your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and you can't obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, and you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, Christians. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or being an enemy of God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. And that word opposes to militarily battle against like Jesus on the battlefield but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. That's how you get peace. And No, 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 really. If you're a follower of Jesus, you draw near to God, he'll, he'll draw near to you. And then he starts to wreck all the stuff that's in you because if you don't think every week I confess sin and if there's ever a point that I'm like I don't really think I have anything to, f- to confess I remember first John 1 8 you're self-deceived and that feels weird to say I'm, I'm currently self-deceived don't really have anything and the way that we're gonna sort of remind ourselves of this piece because I feel like what happens is we get kind of going through life and um, I mean, who has time to think about this stuff? And, you know, if we're, we're not a really reflective culture. <laughs> Keep moving. Yesterday's gone. Keep going forward, baby. Don't look back. And so what happens is all that stuff, all that baggage, all that darkness that Jesus died for, you don't ever think about it. And so um, I wanted us to do something. There should be little communion little things around you, or they're being passed around. Here they come. And um, I want to do something with all of you. See, Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he did something called the Lord's Supper. And he put this in to be a, a memory place for us to remember what he did for us. And so before you take and eat this, I want you to kind of bring, if there's any sin, any darkness you need to bring before him, before you put the bread in your mouth or the, or the juice in your mouth, I want you to go, God, make me aware of my sin. Don't let me be self-deceived. And then repent, okay? You guys ready for this? See, Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he was hanging out with the disciples, called the Last Supper. He broke bread and then he gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Go ahead, take and eat. And that same night, he took the cup, said, This is my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance for me. Remember what Jesus did for us. Father, I just thank you that you are doing a work here. And I know that there is stuff that people are wrestling with. And as our prayer team comes forward, God, I know that there's there's something that some of us are wrestling with, whether we're not a Christian at all or whether we are. And God, I'm praying that this morning you would work on someone's heart and they would say, Jesus, do that thing in me that I'm longing for. I don't even know how to change, I don't even know if I'm self aware enough to change, but I need your power. God, bring your power. Lord, all the the darkness, all the sin, all of the, the people here that are experiencing like a sense of farness, would they draw near with their mess and cry out, Jesus. Lord, you said, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Don't get clean first, come first. And God, you do the cleaning. So Lord, if somebody doesn't know you, would you open up their heart? Would they say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for that sin. I believe you rose to the Holy Spirit come into my life. Make me the person you want me to be. And Jesus, I'm praying for those who have the spirit that you jealously lean into. And it hurts your heart when we take your spirit Blend it with the world. Father, would you do a work of healing, of, people, of making people aware, open up their minds and their eyes, that thought that they had of, of that thing or this thing or that thing. God, the, the thing, the thing, you know the thing that's been going on in their life. They know it's not right and they don't even know where to start, and they don't really want to tell anybody about it because, well, to tell somebody about it means I have to be aware of it, and to be aware of it means I have to change I don't know how to change. I don't even know where to go with that. So Lord, would you just bring them in their brokenness and allow your Holy Spirit to do the work because we can't, all we can do is just show up with our brokenness. So Lord, I'm praying somebody today comes for the very first time to receive you, Jesus. And God, I'm praying that as we have our prayer team up here, that people who are just wrestling with stuff, would turn to you turn away from the darkness even be just real with people like listen i've been real about this thing in my life ever and it's weighing on my soul it's weighing on my heart and i don't know how to change or be transformed so god please please jesus move this morning don't let this just be another prayer that falls to the floor let it rise to you would you hear and respond and start moving in the hearts of people this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine, just for a second, what Christmas would look like if you weren't vying for the position. If you weren't trying to get people to understand how right or powerful or in control that you were. Imagine if we took our pride and we cast it aside and we fixed our eyes on Jesus. How that would transform Christmas within your heart, within your family, within this church, within that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who position themselves to praise God through any circumstance. Go and be a people who position to they receive the power of God's word and be fully protected by it. Go and be a people who allow God's word to transform them from the darkness of life. Go and push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.